Welcome to the Game Before the Money podcast. Celebrating pro and college football history, one legend at a time. Powered by our transcription partner, Sonics. Edit and transcribe your audio and video files with Sonics. Visit sonics.ai to learn more. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Game Before the Money podcast. I'm your host, Jackson Michael, author of the Game Before the Money, Voices of the Men Who Built the NFL, published by the University of Nebraska Press. That book is available on their website, as well as Amazon and Barnes & Noble. I also wrote and directed We Were the Oilers, The Love You Blue Era. That DVD is also available on Amazon. And I have a new audiobook about the Love You Blue Era Oilers called Red, White, and Columbia Blue, Chasing the Dream with the 1979 Houston Oilers. It's a game-by-game account of the 1979 Oilers who made the AFC Championship game for the second year in a row. Also includes stories with a lot of Oiler greats. And you can find that at Houston79.com. Again, that's Houston79.com. But right now, we've got another very special episode of the Game Before the Money podcast as we sit down with Hall of Fame coach Marv Levy. He's a great man, a real football fan, and I'm very thankful he allotted me some time to chat with him about his exceptional knowledge of the game and its history. If you're any kind of a football fan, and especially a fan of its history, you're going to thoroughly enjoy the stories you'll hear Coach Levy share with us. Most of you likely associate Marv Levy with coaching the Buffalo Bills to four straight Super Bowls. Those four straight AFC championships are a huge part of his legacy, but his coaching history includes a lot of fantastic moments with other future college and NFL coaching legends dating back all the way to the late 1950s and early 1960s. Coach Levy was born in 1925 and grew up in Chicago. I naturally asked him how closely he followed the NFL Chicago Bears as a youngster. While I was growing up, very closely. I think I could name their starting lineup from 1939 better than I can name one from this year. That 1939 Chicago Bears team, of course, was coached by George Hallis. The team led the NFL in both rushing and passing offense. And that 1939 Bears team featured a line powered by Hall of Famer Joe Stidahar, who later coached the 1951 LA Rams to an NFL title. The Bears had three losses in 1939 and didn't make the NFL championship game. But young Marv Levy cheered the Bears on to winning three of the next four NFL championships, including the 1940 NFL championship that the Bears won 73 to nothing over Sammy Baugh and the Washington Redskins. Listen to it on the radio. It, it was great. And, of course, Sid Luckman was the great star of that game. And about 10 years later, when I was in college on summer vacation, I worked in a boys' camp up in northern Wisconsin, and Sid's son was in my cabin. <laughs> and I got to know him and maintained contact with him over many years that followed. In 1943, Coach Levy graduated high school right in the middle of World War II. He and over 20 of his high school classmates enlisted in the Army Air Corps. 
After the war ended, Coach Levy turned his sights towards college. He excelled in three sports during his college athletic career, but put academics first. He shares with us his college experience. I was recruited to play football at the U of Wyoming and did go out there, but there wasn't a second left for study, and I wanted to go to college. It was all football, football, football every second. And I had a high school teammate of mine that was at Coe. I never had heard of it previous. Come here, you'll love it. You'll get an education. You'll participate. So actually, I did play varsity football. You had to play both ways then, halfback and defensive back. I ran track, 120-yard dashes, and my senior year, when they kicked a bunch of guys off the basketball team for breaking the rules, I was playing intramural basketball, but the coach came after me, and I got a basketball letter that year, too. Coe College, spelled C-O-E, is a liberal arts college located in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Coe's football coach at the time was a man named Dick Clawson, who played football and baseball for the Iowa Hawkeyes in the 1930s. Levy graduated Coe and enrolled in Harvard Law School. Before Levy left for Harvard, Coach Clawson presented Levy with a standing invitation. Coach Levy fills us in on what happened. I was heading off to Harvard Law School, and my college football coach, a wonderful man, great influence in my life, named Dick Clawson, said, Marv, if you ever want to coach, you've got a job here. Well, I was at law school at Harvard about three weeks. I said, I, I want to coach. And they let me transfer over to the Grad School of Arts and Science, and I got a master's degree, coached two years at a prep school in St. Louis, and then there was an opening on the staff at Go, and I came back there, and that began my college and on beyond career. Dick Clawson had brought me back. Clawson moved up the coaching ranks and took Levy along for the ride. Levy then found himself moving into a head coaching role. At Coe, we went undefeated. Dick Lawson was picked as the small college coach of the year, was offered the head job at New Mexico, and the whole staff, including me, went with him. Two years later, he left to become the athletic director at the University of Arizona, and they promoted me to head coach at New Mexico. Levy became head coach at New Mexico in 1958. While still an assistant, he recruited Don Perkins, an excellent all-around player who would earn six Pro Bowl nods as a member of Tom Landry's Dallas Cowboys in the 1960s. Levy tells us about Don Perkins. He's one of the greatest all-around players that's ever played the game. He led the nation, you had to play two ways, in rushing, kickoff returns, and interceptions in his senior year in college. And I don't know if I've ever seen a better all-around football player that went together with high character. Everything about the guy was so admirable. Back then, New Mexico was a member of the Skyline Conference. The University of Wyoming was also a member of the Skyline Conference, and their team featured Bob Devaney as head coach. Those of you who are regular listeners to the podcast You heard a lot about Bob Devaney and his stellar career at the University of Nebraska in the Tom Osborne Part 1 episode of the Game Before the Money podcast. Indeed, at the time when Devaney and Levy were coaching in the Skyline Conference, Devaney was destined for later greatness at Nebraska and would win two national championships as head coach of the Cornhuskers. But it turns out that before Devaney accepted the job at Nebraska, The University of California also offered him a head coaching position. Devaney, of course, chose Nebraska, but he didn't leave Cal out in the cold, however. 
he recommended his Skyline Conference counterpart, Marv Levy. In 1960, Marv Levy became head coach of the University of California after two years of guiding New Mexico to identical 7-3 and three records. They offered the head job to the coach at Wyoming, Bob Devaney, at California, but Bob was also offered the same head job at Nebraska, and he thought he had a better chance of winning there. He was right, but he said, you ought to look at that coach at New Mexico. And we were on very good terms with Wyoming and New Mexico those years were the two best teams probably in those couple of years, even though Utah State had Merlin Olsen on their team. <laughs> yeah, and Bob and I were, were on good terms, and he, unbeknownst to me, he recommended me, and I'm very complimented and, and grateful. Coach Levy and Coach Devaney, two coaching legends crossing paths in history. Turns out they're not the only two coaching legends involved with the story of Cal hiring Coach Levy. Levy heard of a high school coach in California and decided to interview him for his staff. I'll leave it up to Coach Levy to tell you the full story. One guy I did hire on my staff, you're right, was a high school football coach out of Fremont High School that I'd heard great things about, interviewed, and liked, was Bill Walsh. Bright as can be, he had very advanced ideas of what to do in the passing game and so on. He was a very personable guy, very likable. Bill Walsh, of course, later gained fame as the father of the West Coast offense and created a dynasty as head coach of the San Francisco 49ers during the 1980s. While at Cal, Coach Levy also recruited a future NFL quarterback who would start in two Super Bowls, Craig Morton. Yeah, well, Craig Morton was from, I can't, can't remember the exact high school, down near San Jose, and was an outstanding high school quarterback. We went after him, and he, he was a good academic guy, good academic mind, and Cal appealed to him. He came there, and of course, he was an All-American quarterback and later drafted high. Those Cal teams didn't end up winning as much as other teams Levy coached. In terms of football history, however, it's pretty incredible to think about. You had a future legendary college coach, Bob Devaney, recommend a future Pro Football Hall of Fame coach, Marv Levy, who in turn would hire a man who also coached his way into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Bill Walsh. Then you had quarterback Craig Morton, who started Super Bowl V for the Cowboys and Super Bowl XII for the Broncos. Pretty amazing, right? Well, Coach Levy tells us there's even more to this crisscross of history. While I was at Cal, there was an assistant coach at a junior college in the area that used to always come over and hang out at our practices. I got to know him. I thought he was really a bright guy. I was going to hire him, but I got fired. His name was Dick Vermeil. Dick Vermeil was head coach for the Philadelphia Eagles in Super Bowl 15 and the St. Louis Rams in Super Bowl 34. So you had Marv Levy, Bill Walsh, and Dick Vermeil. If we can only travel back in time and get our photos taken with those three together. Combined, the three of them were head coaches in nine Super Bowls. I'm not even going to take the time to add up all the divisional championships that trio won in the NFL. It would also take a long time to add up all of the players that those three coaches coached into the Hall of Fame. Marv Levy coached at Cal for four seasons. He then served as head coach at William & Mary for five years. Levy says he fondly remembers his time at William & Mary, and especially the fact that every single one of the players graduated. In 1969, while in his mid-40s, 
Levy got his first chance to work in the NFL as kicking coach for the Philadelphia Eagles. Only one other NFL team employed a kicking team's coach at the time. That was the Los Angeles Rams under head coach George Allen. Coach Levy tells us the full story. George Allen was very innovative. He was the first guy that would ever hire a kicking team's coach, and he hired Dick Vermeil. I was at William and Mary, and Jerry Williams, the head coach of the Eagles, thought that was a great idea that George had pulled off. Jerry knew me from our days back in the Skyline Conference. He knew I thought so highly of the kicking game. And he offered me a job with a good raise to come join the Eagles as their kicking coach. So Dick Vermeil and I were the only two kicking coaches in the league at the time. One year later, Dick was offered the head job at UCLA. He took it, and George Allen came after me. And Dick told me what a great mind George was. So I went out and went to work for George Allen, one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. Guy of a tremendous high character, very innovative mind, brilliant in every way. He not only was of high character, he was a character, too. He was fun to be around. Uh, What a delight it was and how honored I am to be able to say that I worked for George Allen. You can hear more about George Allen's time as the Los Angeles Rams head coach in the Eddie Metter episode of the Game Before the Money podcast. Levy worked as special teams coach under Allen for one year in Los Angeles. Despite winning seasons, Rams ownership fired Allen after the 1970 season. The Washington Redskins jumped at the chance to hire Allen for the 1971 season. Allen brought Levy with him to Washington, and the franchise made the playoffs for the first time since 1945. Allen's famous over-the-hill gang won the NFC Championship in his second year as head coach. You can hear more about that team, as well as the Buffalo Bills back-to-back AFL championships in the 1960s, in the Ron McDole episode of the Game Before the Money podcast. George Allen's Washington Redskins took on the previously unbeaten Miami Dolphins in Super Bowl VII, with Marv Levy still working as special teams coach. Levy spotted a weakness in the way the Dolphins' long snapper snapped the ball. He looked to exploit it early in the game. When he got ready to snap a ball for a punt or a field goal, he didn't just send it back. He sort of lifted it up for a split second and then did it. Well, I trained one of our guys along the way. When he lifts that ball up, I thought that was the beginning of the snap. Flick it, and the ball would come out. And the first time he did it, we did that. The ball dribbled around. We recovered on their eight-yard line or something, the undefeated Dolphins. The officials threw a flag at us for interfering with the snap. Well. That was it. Levy's special teams crew created havoc in the fourth quarter with one of the most memorable plays in Super Bowl history. Late in the game against Miami, they're beating us 14 to nothing, the undefeated Dolphins, and they lined up to kick a field goal with about five minutes to go. Yep, we blocked it. Their kicker, Gary Premium, picked it up and tried to throw a pass. It popped up into the air, and one of our guys grabbed it and went the distance for a touchdown. It's now 14-7. to We tried an onside kick, didn't recover it, forced him to punt, blocked the punt, but we could never score the tying touchdown. Mike Bass was the man who scored the touchdown for Washington. The 1972 Redskins defense, known as the Over the Hill Gang, grabbed a lot of the headlines 
But Coach Levy points out that special teams play contributed greatly to the team's success. During that year with the Redskins, you'll never match the statistics we had and the great special teams players that George let me keep aboard on that team. We blocked 18 kicks during the course of that season. We held our opponents for the season to a total of 48 yards in punt returns. They averaged starting point after our kickoffs inside their own 20-yard line. But again, the emphasis was on my special teams. No one else was doing it. The Canadian Football League's Montreal Alouettes offered Levy a head coaching position for the 1973 season. Coach Levy led the Alouettes to two Grey Cup championships, the CFL's equivalent to the NFL Super Bowl. Multiple NFL teams dialed Coach Levy's number after the second Grey Cup championship. I was offered a job with the then St. Louis Cardinals, back with the Redskins, but George left. He had traded away all their draft choices. And with the Kansas City Chiefs, I finally agonized back and forth and accepted the offer from the Chiefs. Coach Levy tells us he holds Chiefs owner and American Football League founder Lamar Hunt in high regard. He also shares with us an amusing story from his interview with the Chiefs. I think very highly of Lamar Hunt. He was very charity-oriented. He was as honest as they come. He was a tremendously wealthy man and unbelievably frugal. When he brought me in for the interview, I had a bunch of bags. I said, Mr. Hunt, I'm going to have the porter bring me. He said, oh, no, no, we're not going to spend those bags. I'll go get them. You go with uh, Jack here over here. That we're there. So Lamar went and lugged my bags around rather than reach into his wallet. <laughs> Levy coached the Chiefs through the 1982 season. He later coached in the USFL, the United States Football League, for his hometown Chicago Blitz. Most of us, however, know Marv Levy from his stellar run as head coach of the Buffalo Bills. Here's how his tenure started. The Bills languished at 2-7 midway through the 1986 season. Bills owner Ralph Wilson decided the team needed to make a coaching change. Bills general manager Bill Polian knew just the man for the job. Coach Levy gives us the background on how he was hired as head coach of the Buffalo Bills. Way back when I was in Montreal, our director of player personnel hired three part-time scouts, and uh, they send their reports in, and I started to look at it, and finally I said to our personnel director, who's this guy writing these reports? I said, he is keen. I'd like to meet him. And he brought him in. He was some guy that worked for a magazine. His name was Bill Polian. And <laughs> Bill and I got to know each other. Bill worked his way up the ladder and was a full-time scout with the Buffalo Bills. And when Ralph finally let his general manager go, he promoted Bill to general manager. Bill Polian recommended to Ralph that he hire me. Ralph said, well, the chief fired him. I'm going to call Lamar. He called Lamar. Lamar said, that's the biggest mistake I ever made. And Ralph hired me. The Bills handed Levy the keys to the team's coaching office, and the rest, as they say, is history. Although it wasn't necessarily that easy. The Bills finished 4-12 in 1986. The team showed promise, however, as quarterback Jim Kelly played in his first NFL season after playing in the USFL for the Houston Gamblers. Defensive end Bruce Smith and wide receiver Andre Reid were in their second NFL season. Rookie safety Mark Kelso and center Kent Hall had bright NFL careers ahead. 
When hired, Coach Levy told the New York Times that he was excited about the great young talent the Bills had, talent he was quite familiar with after working as a commentator on Bills' preseason broadcasts. Levy's first real success with the Bills didn't come on the football field, however. It came in the 1987 NFL Draft. The Bills had two first-round picks and selected linebacker Shane Conlon and defensive back Nate Odoms. Both would start several years for the Bills and make multiple Pro Bowl rosters. But it was a trade with the Indianapolis Colts that brought an even more important piece to the Bills' defense in that 1987 draft class. Coach Levy tells us how the Bills obtained linebacker Cornelius Bennett. The number one player in the draft was picked by the Indianapolis Colts. His name was Cornelius Bennett, but they couldn't come to an agreement. And so during the course of the season, they still never came to an agreement. One day after practice, I walked in the office and Bill Pullian said, Marv, how'd you like to have Cornelius Bennett? I said, oh, are you kidding? You bet. I knew all about him. I thought he was something unbelievable. He said, well, we can trade for him. I said, what do we have to give? He said, next year and the year afters, first round draft choices. I said, are you crazy? We shouldn't do that. We talked till three in the morning. Finally, I was so exhausted. All right, Bill, go ahead. Cornelius came in one week of practice. He wasn't really ready to play a lot, but we put him in the game against uh, Denver Broncos in the middle of the second quarter. First play he's in there, wham, he sacks John Elway. The Bills finished 7-8 and eight in 1987, a 15-game season cut short by a player's strike. Coach Levy's Bills were on their way, but they still needed an outstanding running back. And after the Cornelius Bennett trade, Buffalo did not have a first-round pick in the 1988 draft. The team crossed their fingers for round two. As it ended up, the Bills couldn't have done better even if they owned the top pick in the draft. Coach Levy tells us, however, the Bills were at first reluctant to take future Hall of Famer Thurman Thomas with a 40th overall pick in the 1988 NFL Draft. Thurman Thomas on the board is a good running back, but we had him red-starred, which means don't pick an injury problem. He had a bad torn-up knee. He couldn't finish his previous season. Six running backs went off the draft board in the first round. And now we're in the second round and finally get our pick. And Elijah Pitts, our running back, goes, we need this guy Thurman. I've seen him play. I've never seen anyone like him. Da-da-da-da-da. We went on and on. I called their head coach. How about him? What's his knee? He said, his knee's healed, I'm telling you. I said, all right, go ahead, take him. He gained more yards in his career than the other six running backs combined. A lot of you football history majors probably recognize the name Elijah Pitts a solid player who scored two touchdowns in Super Bowl one. Coach Levy notes that having great people around you is key to a winning organization. Elijah was a running back's ghost, great player, had been with the renowned Green Bay Packer teams of Paul Horning and the company. That was a great recommendation by Elijah. Sometimes it's the people that are working with you that make a lot of things happen. The Bill Polians and Elijah Pitts and Ted Marchabrotas and so on. The Bills made it all the way to the AFC Championship in Thurman Thomas's rookie year of 1988. Buffalo made the playoffs again in 1989. They played Cleveland in the wildcard round, and the Browns had a good-sized lead going into the fourth quarter. 
Levy turned to his offensive coordinator, Ted Marchabrota, and offensive line coach, Tom Bresnahan, with an idea. Yeah, I just said to Ted, our offensive coordinator, and to Bresnahan, I said, we're not going to wait till the end of the game to go to our two-minute drill. Let's go to our two-minute drill right now. They said, of course. And we take we marched down the field. Jim Kelly's our quarterback, engineering it. We scored. We get the ball back, marched down the field, and with about three minutes to go, we scored again. Now we're down by four. Somehow we made them punt with a minute and 30 seconds to go. We marched down the field again using our no huddle, get down about their 10-yard line, and Ronnie Harmon on a fourth down tries to look down to be sure his feet are in bounds in the end zone, couldn't hang on to it, so we lost the game. We were eliminated. We're walking off the field after the game, Ted on one side of me and Tom Bresnan on the other, and we're looking at each other, and I said, Ted, you know what? Why don't we make that our offense next year? And he said to me, I was just going to say that to you, Tom Bresnan on the other side. I said, so was I. So the next year, it was our no-huddle offense. The Bills' offense exploded in 1990, fueled by the no-huddle offense sometimes referred to as the K-Gun offense. While it's easy to think the K-Gun name started because of Bill's quarterback, Jim Kelly, legend has it that it was actually named for tight end Keith McKellar. In 1990, the Bill's hurry-up offense left many NFL defenses on their heels and put a lot of points on the scoreboard. With Jim Kelly, of course, great engineer of it, his fantastic backup quarterback, Frank Reich, and the most unbelievable center you can ever imagine in Kent Hull, who relayed our line-blocking schemes in the wink of an eye on every play and then blocked some 300-pound nose tackle across from him. During the regular season, there were nine quarters that the Bills scored at least 14 points. They scored at least 20 points in a quarter five times. In December. They faced the eventual NFC champions, the New York Giants, on the road. Buffalo kicker Scott Norwood hit a key field goal early in the fourth quarter to give the Bills a four-point lead. The Giants got inside the Bills' 30-yard line three times in the fourth quarter but couldn't muster the game-winning touchdown. Buffalo won the game by four points despite the Giants' lopsided advantage in time of possession, which was almost 2-1. to one. The Giants also gained nearly 100 more rushing yards than the Bills that day. The game proved costly for both teams, as both starting quarterbacks, Jim Kelly and Phil Simms, missed the rest of the regular season. Giants starting quarterback Phil Simms also missed the playoffs. Buffalo entered the postseason with a 13-3 record and held home field advantage in the AFC playoffs. Quarterback Jim Kelly returned for the divisional round game against Miami. The Bills' soaring offense scored at least 13 points in three of the four quarters to rack up 44 points in the win. Jim Kelly threw for well over 300 yards. Andre Reid and James Lofton each notched over 100 yards receiving, and Thurman Thomas recorded over 100 yards rushing. It was yet another example of a Bills' victory on the scoreboard, despite being bested in the time of possession category. Buffalo hosted the Oakland Raiders for the AFC Championship. This time, Buffalo scored 41 points in the first half, en route to a 51-3 win. Through the 2019 season, that 48-point margin of victory remains the largest in the history of the AFC Championship game. 
The Bills moved on to Super Bowl 25 as the league's highest scoring offense to face the New York Giants, the team that yielded the fewest amount of points in the NFL. Buffalo took a 19-17 lead on the first play of the fourth quarter on a 31-yard rush by Thurman Thomas. The Giants managed a field goal midway through the fourth quarter. Buffalo took over at their 10-yard line with just over two minutes left, still trailing 20-19. The Bills marched all the way to the Giants' 29-yard line with eight seconds remaining after Kelly spiked the ball with no timeouts left. Kicker Scott Norwood lined up for a 47-yard field goal on the Bermuda grass turf of Tampa Stadium. The ABC Super Bowl broadcast posted a graphic stating that Norwood had made only one of five field goal attempts on grass over 40 yards in his entire career. If made, the 47-yard field goal would be the longest Norwood ever made on grass in his NFL career. Norwood's attempt sailed wide right, and the Bills lost by the closest of margins, 20-19. After the game, Norwood said in multiple interviews that he might have overemphasized the force put into the kick, and that may have affected his follow-through and ultimately the ball's trajectory. On the plane ride home from Super Bowl XXV, Coach Levy found solace and inspiration in a poem that he shared with the team. He shares that poem and the story with us now. On the flight home, I remember the poem my mother had given me when I left for service in World War II about an old Scotch warrior way back in the 1600s. Fight on, my men, Sir Andrew said. A little I'm hurt, but not yet slain. I'll just lie down and bleed a while. Then I'll rise and fight again. And I posted that on the bulletin board for our final team meeting, and about eight or ten of the guys came by and said, Coach, can I have a copy? Can I have a copy? And the next year, when something went wrong, somebody, I don't know who, would post a copy of that up on our bulletin board. Fight again, the 1991 Buffalo Bills certainly did. The team again finished the regular season 13-3 and with the top seed in the AFC, despite not having superstar defensive end Bruce Smith for much of the season due to a knee injury. The hurry-up offense electrified the league, and the Bills scored at least 34 points in half of their regular season games. They pasted 37 points on the Kansas City Chiefs in their divisional round playoff win. A rugged game against Denver the next week only yielded 10 points, but it was enough to win an AFC Championship game dominated by defense. In fact, the Bills' lone touchdown came on an interception return by linebacker Carlton Bailey. Marv Levy's Buffalo Bills proved they could win with both offense and defense and made the Super Bowl for the second straight season. Their opponent was the Washington Redskins, who in the regular season outscored their opposition by 261 points, the highest regular season point differential in NFL history at the time. Of course, statistics like that don't matter on Super Bowl Sunday, and the two teams fought to a scoreless tie in the first quarter. Buffalo's dreams of victory met dimmed light, however, as the Redskins peppered the scoreboard with 17 second quarter points that went unanswered. Levy's Bills then found themselves drowning in a 24-0 third quarter deficit. Being down by that many points forced Buffalo to pass 
and they weren't able to use NFL regular season MVP Thurman Thomas as the rushing threat that they had hoped to. As a result, he gathered only 13 yards rushing the entire game. The Bills scored two fourth quarter touchdowns, but it wasn't enough. Buffalo left its second straight Super Bowl empty-handed. The New York Times quoted Coach Levy as saying this loss hurt more than the previous year. Winning back-to-back AFC championships left the Bills with a target on their back. Buffalo finished 11-5 the next year. In the final week of the regular season, the Miami Dolphins beat New England in overtime, and the Bills got trounced 27-3 at the Houston Astrodome by the Houston Oilers. The scenario gave the Dolphins the AFC East title. The Bills, however, earned a home wildcard game against the Houston Oilers, forcing the teams to face each other twice in a row. Jim Kelly suffered a strained knee ligament in the regular season finale at Houston, and Frank Reich would start the wildcard game. The wildcard matchup against the Oilers started out disastrously for the Bills. The Oilers, in their sixth consecutive postseason, rang the scoreboard's bell early and often. In the first half, Houston quarterback Warren Moon threw four touchdown passes, utilizing four different receivers. Thurman Thomas left the game early with an injury. Things looked ugly for the Bills after the first 30 minutes. At halftime, we're losing 28-3. to You don't tell them much at halftime. You got 15 minutes at halftime. It takes three minutes to get off the field. They got to go to the washroom, adjust their tape, get in the training room. Takes another three to get back out. You got about two minutes, three minutes to make any adjustments. There weren't many adjustments we could make. I just knew that we had to stay in our no huddle and we never give up. Coach Levy returned for the second half with offensive assistant Jim Schaffner. Jim Schaffner was there. We're walking back out. Jim said, Marm, we're only down by 25 points. The greatest comeback was 28 points. 28 points indeed was the NFL record for a comeback at the time. Joe Montana led the San Francisco 49ers to victory in 1980 after trailing New Orleans by 28. At the time, the largest comeback in the NFL playoffs was 20 points, held by the 1957 Detroit Lions, who topped the San Francisco 49ers after trailing 27-7 in the third quarter. So, if you're an optimist, and I mean a real optimist like Jim Schaffner and Marv Levy, you might think the Bills have at least a chance down 28-3, right? Especially if you remember that Frank Reich, subbing as the Bills quarterback for the injured Jim Kelly, held the college football record for a comeback, leading his Maryland Terrapins back to victory after a 31-0 deficit against the University of Miami. First series of the second half, Frank threw a touchdown pass. But it wasn't us, it was one of their defensive backs. Intercepted it and went all the way. Now we're down 35-3. So now it's a 32-point deficit. One point more than Reich's college record. In the next six minutes and 58 seconds, we scored four touchdowns. And and the chapter I wrote in the book on that one is four scores and seven minutes ago. Coach Levy's four scores and seven minutes ago remark is from his book, Where Else Would You Rather Be? It's a must read for Bills fans. We'll talk more about Marv Levy's writing later in the podcast. The Bills' first touchdown came on a one-yard run by Kenneth Davis to make it 35-10. Coach Levy, not one to give up even when down by several touchdowns, called for an onside kick out of desperation, and it worked. 
A Frank Reich touchdown pass to Don Beebe and two touchdown throws to Andre Reed rounded out the four scores and seven minutes ago Rich Stadium address. By the end of the third quarter, the Bills were down by four. Four points, not four touchdowns. Reich hit Reed for an early fourth quarter touchdown, and by golly, the Bills had a three-point lead after once trailing by 32 points. The Oilers tied the game to force overtime, but the Bills' Nate Odoms landed an interception, and Buffalo's Steve Christie followed with the game-winning field goal. As of the end of the 2019 season, the 32-point comeback stands as the greatest come-from-behind victory in NFL history, playoffs or otherwise. The Bills needed to win two more games on the road to claim a third straight AFC title. Jim Kelly, Thurman Thomas, and Cornelius Bennett all returned from injuries for the divisional playoff at Pittsburgh. After trailing 3-0 in the first quarter at Pittsburgh, the Bills wouldn't fall behind on the scoreboard throughout the rest of the AFC playoffs. Buffalo coasted to a 24-3 win over the Steelers and controlled a 29-10 win over the Miami Dolphins in the AFC Championship. The Bills faced the Dallas Cowboys in Super Bowl 27. The Cowboys were the youngest team in the NFL at the time and featured Troy Aikman, Emmitt Smith, and Michael Irvin. Things started out well for the Bills that day, and Buffalo jumped out to a 7-0 lead in the first five minutes. Near the end of the first quarter, however, the Cowboys scored two touchdowns less than a minute apart and took a 14-7 lead in lightning-quick fashion. Near the end of the second quarter, the Cowboys scored two touchdowns within 15 seconds of each other and led 28-10. By that time, Jim Kelly had left the game with an injury. Frank Reich pulled the Bills to within 14 at the end of the third quarter, but the Cowboys exploded again and scored three touchdowns within a three-minute span. The final was 52-17. to The Bills committed nine turnovers. The Cowboys almost scored another touchdown on a fumble return with about five minutes left, but Bills receiver Don Beebe didn't quit. He chased down Cowboys lineman Leon Lett and forced a fumble near the goal line that went Buffalo's way. The Bills might have lost their third straight Super Bowl, but they showed tremendous resiliency and heart. They were the most resilient bunch of guys I can really imagine. They were high-character guys, a lot of them with a great sense of humor. The Buffalo Bills proved resilient once again and finished the 1993 season at 12-4. The season included a win at Dallas and the Bills defense forced at least four turnovers in eight games. The Bills coasted to victory in the AFC Championship game against the Kansas City Chiefs as Thurman Thomas's three touchdowns powered the Bills. That win set up a rematch with the Cowboys in Super Bowl XXVIII. Buffalo kicker Steve Christie hit a 28-yard field goal as the first half expired to cap off a 10-point second quarter for the Bills with no response from the Cowboys. Levy's soldiers led 13-6 at halftime. They would also get the ball to start the second half with a chance to pad their lead. The Bills moved the ball well on the first two plays of the second half, but fumbled on the third play. Dallas returned the fumble 46 yards for a touchdown. The Cowboys scored another touchdown on their next possession after stopping the Bills cold with a three and out. The Bills offense wouldn't find the scoreboard for the rest of the game. 
Dallas won their second straight Super Bowl, and the Bills nursed their wounds for the fourth consecutive year. Marv Levy coached the Bills through 1997, and as of the 2019 season, he remains the only coach in NFL history to guide his team to four straight Super Bowls. Of course, one can look at those Buffalo Bills, as many sometimes do, and simply point out that the team lost four Super Bowls in a row. That, however, glosses over many of the outstanding achievements the Buffalo Bills made under Coach Levy's command. According to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, the Bills own the highest winning percentage of any AFC team from 1988 through 1997. Only the San Francisco 49ers topped the Bills' winning percentage in the entire NFL during that span. Also, remember the Bills won playoff games without star players in their lineup. The team showed unparalleled tenacity, not only by making the Super Bowl four consecutive times, but also through orchestrating the greatest comeback in NFL history. And remember, that counts all 100 years of NFL play through 2019. Let's also remember that there are many fans and members of the Kansas City Chiefs, Miami Dolphins, Oakland Raiders, Denver Broncos, Houston Oilers, and other AFC teams that would have loved to have competed in those four Super Bowls. The Bills, however, topped them all. And as Coach Levy stressed to me, his group exhibited a high level of character. The players we had in Buffalo, their personalities differed. I got to say that from each other. But Bill Pullion, Ralph Wilson, and I determined the day I was hired, we would bring only guys of high character onto our team. Are they good citizens? Do they bounce back from defeat? Do they show up on time? Are they good family guys? All of that. That's why our team was able to fight their way back after losing those Super Bowl games to get back in the fray once again. Coach Levy says he keeps in touch with many of the players today and is also proud of their achievements off the field. I stay in touch with them still. As I say, they've grown to be fine family guys. A lot of them doing very successful. Don Beebe, very successful coach here in the area. John Holosek is a very successful coach in the Chicago area. He may have joined us really after those Super Bowl teams, but he was of the same character type. I remember them so fondly, so fondly, and I still, as I say, get to see them often. Earlier in the podcast, you heard a bit about Coach Levy's book, Where Else Would You Rather Be? He's written other books as well and tells us a little bit about his work as an author. I was a major in college in English history and literature, and I loved it, and I always did a lot of reading, and I knew I wanted to write after. So afterwards, I wrote first a memoir, Where Else Would You Rather Be? Then I wrote a novel, Between the Lies, and I wrote a book of poetry most recently. And after the Chicago Cubs, my hometown team, won the World Series two years ago, they asked me to write the text for a children's book, Go Cubs Go, The Never Give Up Attitude. So I've been writing that, and I hope to be writing some more soon. Marv Levy, a true gentleman, a true scholar, and Hall of Fame football coach. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Game Before the Money podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform if you haven't done so already. 
A special thanks to Coach Levy for interviewing for this podcast. Bills fans, you can hear more about the great Bills teams of the mid-1960s that won back-to-back American Football League championships on the Ron McDowell episode of the Game Before the Money podcast. To hear more about the mid-90s Dallas Cowboys, please download the Chad Hennings episode of the Game Before the Money podcast. These are all available on your favorite podcast listening platforms, or you can visit thegamebeforethemoney.com. The Game Before the Money podcast is powered by our transcription partner, Sonics. Learn more at sonics.ai, S-O-N-I-X dot A-I. 